And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Also, before I begin my sermon, I'd just like to say that we have, boy, I feel like if everyone on this side of the room jumped real hard, the whole church would fall over. We have a wonderful amount of folks with us today, and if anyone is sitting near someone who doesn't seem to have a bulletin, I was wondering if we could just share when, you know, especially when hymns come along, because we might have run out of bulletins. I thought I heard that from one of the ushers. Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I think that if we kind of think about, if we think about in our minds what we mean when we think the phrase us, we might have a particular group in mind that we think that we identify with, a group that we feel like we're a part of, and then if we thought of them, we could probably all conjure in our minds a, a them that we feel are the other folks that aren't part of a, our group. We do this in our lives all over the place. Sometimes the category, the criteria by which we draw these lines are fairly small and silly even. You know, uh, I'm a big science fiction fan. I'm a big nerd. And, you know, some other folks are more straight-laced and they, they only read biographies. And, boy, I, you know, I can really identify with someone who reads a lot of sci-fi or fantasy because they're my people. Sometimes the categories are more important, like if... Well, we're a sports fan. If we're a Georgia fan and someone roots for Alabama, we know who us are. That's Georgia fans, and them are Alabama fans. That's an important category, right? I think. Did I get that right? I don't know anything about sports. To me, sports people, right? Sports people are them to me as well. Well, sometimes in all seriousness, the categories are what seem to be crucial, vital, uh, foundational-level categories to us, things that we believe deeply in. Uh, whether, you know, our political or sort of social philosophy, if someone is part of a different uh, social movement or a different political party, we may think of them as them. They're part of the problem, or we're getting things right. If only our folks could do things. Sometimes they're they're, uh, different nationalities or peoples. I think we even do this uh, in church with different, we think that our, our church or our denomination is doing it right, but they are those other Christians that we're not quite sure about. Well, to give you an idea of how petty these categories can be, how unimportant, but yet how deeply they can color the way we, we see the world and other people, I want to tell you about when I was in high school. And this is a bit embarrassing, but that's okay. I grew out of it. In high school, I was part of the, uh, my high school's science fiction and fantasy society. And this was kind of a bit of a nerdy school already. It was a magnet school. We had 50 members at our science fiction and fantasy society. So we were a whole cohort of the school. We had been, you know, growing up, most of us, kind of the odd ducks in our particular ponds. 
before getting to high school. And so we were used to being treated a certain way by people that, that looked and talked and dress, dressed and acted a certain way. We figured we knew who was going to be mean to us and who wasn't already. So among ourselves at this high school, we kind of thought we had, a, we had a them, an identified them that we were sure were not our kind of people. And that was the folks that we called the preps. We knew who we were. We were kind of nerdy kids, and we didn't like the preps. They, the preps meant they acted a certain way. They dressed a certain way. Um, maybe they seemed kind of well put together and popular and kind of straight-laced. Often, but not always, they were involved in sports. And I guess based on the way most of us had been treated through lower and middle school, we kind of knew they weren't going to like us, and we probably weren't going to like them. Now, at high school, I had this one friend who was in the science fiction fantasy society named Tom. And Tom was as nerdy as any of the rest of us. He loved all that role-playing games, science fiction movies, you name it. But Tom was also a football player. And so he moved back and forth between the preps and the nerds. We didn't call ourselves nerds. Uh, fluidly, with, no, <laughs> with no, no sort of transition, no bumps along the way. And I was always kind of amazed, just... just to watch him go back and forth and just pal around with both groups. And so one day, I kind of asked him, because this trope of preps being mean, it was so prevalent in my friend group, how can, you, how can you just pal around and be friends with them? And he said to me, Andrew, they're just people, like, like anybody. They're nice folks, you should get to know some of them. And as, as obvious as that statement sounds, it kind of floored me. At the time, I, I, my jaw kind of hit the ground to hear, the, oh yeah, huh. So anyway, let's rewind a couple of millennia and go back to Peter. We meet Peter today in, in the, today's reading from Acts. And when we meet him there, Peter is in the household of a Roman centurion, Cornelius. And so we, we skipped that part of the story where he got there, but God gave him a vision go to the house of this centurion named Cornelius in the town of Caesarea, a town on the coast of Judea. Peter was a good Jew. And in the first century, the Jews had a pretty clear sense of who us are and who they are. To a Jew, we are God's chosen people, the Jews, who have a covenant with God and who have walked with him for centuries. And them... Well, them were the Gentiles. They were the ones who did not have a covenant with God, lived in ways that were unclean and unacceptable to God's people, and they were just fundamentally other. Now, this isn't to say that Jews didn't admire aspects of Gentile culture. Some Jews uh, took on some trappings of Greek thinking and dress and culture. And some Gentiles even admired Jews for their great antiquity, how long they had been around and how old their traditions were. But even at the most chummy, there was a very firm boundary between us and them, Jews and non-Jews. Well, Peter gets this vision. God says, showing him a net lowering from the heavens where all sorts of food and animals, including pigs and other unclean foods, are in this net, God says, get up and eat. And Peter objects, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to eat pigs and things that don't have cloven hooves and whatnot. And God says, what I have pronounced clean, let no one pronounce unclean. 
Then he specifically tells Peter, go to the household of this centurion. When Peter gets there, he meets this man, this uh, centurion. And Cornelius is not just a Gentile. He's not just them because he's a Gentile. He's a Roman. He's a member of the Italian cohort uh, who's stationed in Caesarea. So he's not just any Gentile. He's a Roman, the very people that are lording it over the Jews and subjugating them. And he's not just any Roman. He's a Roman soldier, the very people whose boots tramp down the roads of Judea and whose swords keep the people of Judah in subjugation. If ever there was an us and them, to Peter's mind, it would be himself and this centurion. When he gets there, he tells them, here's why I'm here. I had a vision. And he learns just before our reading that Cornelius had a vision from God just like his, telling him to send for Peter and to meet with him. When Peter learns this, you probably could have heard the sound of his jaw hitting the floor in Joppa, down the coast. He would have been floored. A Jew realizing that this Gentile, God has given him the exact same kind of vision that he gave me. He says something that would have just been flabbergasting for a Jew to say in the first century. He says, Truly I perceive that God makes no distinction, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It's probably hard for us to hear just how nonsensical, how not obvious that statement is. We've heard this kind of thing, we Christians at least, said time and time again throughout our lives. All over the New Testament, we hear that God makes no distinction, and we're used to thinking that way. But for this first century Jew to say to the other, the absolute uh, definition of them, not us, I realize God makes no distinction between you and me. This is the most surprising thing that a Jew could have said. This is a shock. This would leave any Jew hearing it slack-jawed and dumbfounded at this realization. Then again, in the book of Acts, we've been ready for this kind of statement. In Acts, the Holy Spirit repeatedly, again and again, nudges, urges, even shoves the early Christians out of their comfort zone to encounter those who seem fundamentally different from them and find something surprising when they encounter them. The surprising, amazing thing is often that the Holy Spirit is just as invested, just as active among them as with the the so-called in-group. The Holy Spirit actually shows up just right after this reading in the very next verse. In the very next verse, Peter has said this thing, I realize God makes no distinction, but in every nation, anyone who fears God is acceptable to him. And then he very briefly recounts uh, Jesus' life and ministry, his death and resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit actually kind of puts a finger on Peter's mouth and said, all right, that's enough right there. Because it says, while he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit came down and moved among the household. So in other words, God said to Peter, all right, that's enough, and interrupted his sermon. And Peter stops talking. So as if God is confirming Peter's realization The Holy Spirit comes down and it uses, in the verse there, the exact same verbs and the exact same description as the way the Holy Spirit came down among Jews 
on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit says, yes, Peter, you got it right. I make no distinction, and anyone who fears me is acceptable to me. Well, it says right after our verse also that the Jews who were with Peter and saw the Holy Spirit come down were amazed. That really, again, shows how surprising, how unexpected this realization is. God isn't just our own private possession. God isn't only on our side, whatever side means. God has brought us together from both ends, and a surprising new and life-giving encounter happens. This reading encourages us to think, then, who do we today think of as them? Whatever those categories are, be they uh, sort of petty or great, be they quotidian and almost silly or seemingly very fundamental and important. God nudges, urges, or even shoves us into encounters with those who are unlike us. God's Spirit is active among them, moving, coordinating, almost in a choreographic way, our encounters with those who are unlike us. And God hopes to surprise us as we learn new and interesting things about them. How can we encounter the other and realize that God loves them just as God loves us? And how can we be pleasantly surprised in that encounter? Amen. Please stand and join me in the Nicene Creed found on page 7 of your bulletin. We believe in God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father.